Go ahead, uh, grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. Uh, today we're, we're starting a new series called All is Calm. And the reason why we're doing this series is because during the holiday season, all is not calm. Can I get an amen to that? Um, have you noticed all of the chaos and stress of the holiday season? I, I don't know who came up with this, but this is the one time of the year where all of us feel compelled to decorate our house inside and out. And not only that, but this is the one time of year where you're going to buy a gift or several gifts for your family and, and for your friends. Not only that, but we feel obligated to send a Christmas card to everybody that we know and even people that we don't know, right? Uh, so we do that. And then we feel uh, very much like we need to be attending all the Christmas parties and Christmas events and gatherings that uh, people invite us to. And then at the very last minute, we make the decision that we're going to host uh, the entire family over to our house for Christmas dinner. And then three hours later, we're going to head over to the in-law so that we can eat again, even though we're not hungry. And so that's just kind of the chaos that is, that is this, uh, this season of the year. But what's even more interesting about it is just the chaos that we've experienced over the last two years. I mean, we've had this coronavirus chaos, we've had economic chaos, we've had certainly political chaos, we've had uh, chaos uh, in the schools in our community and, and schools throughout the nation. We've seen chaos in cities as the crime rate is, is spiking in major cities uh, all over the world. And so really the question for me is, where do you find calm in the midst of all the chaos? Where do you find peace in a world that's filled with people that are just enraged and divided and a world that's just filled with acrimony, right? Where, where do you find rest in a very restless world? And I think the answer to that question really is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's through the gospel that, that we find calm in the chaos. It's, it's through the gospel that we find peace when we're under pressure. It's through the gospel that we experience rest in a very exhausted world. And so the passage that we're going to look at today is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And we're going to, we're going to look at this story of Jesus' encounter with two sisters, Mary and Martha. These two sisters were very different in their personalities. In fact, uh, one of the commentators that I read said it this way, Mary's bent was that she would meander through life, pausing to stop and smell the roses. But Martha's bent was to pick out the rose, cut it at an angle, surround it with ferns and baby's breath, and then stick it in a vase. These two ladies couldn't be more different in their personalities. And as a result, they had two very distinct ways of serving God and expressing their service to God. So Martha very much loved serving God with her hands. She was a doer. She was very task-oriented. But Mary loved to serve Jesus with her mind and her heart. And so both sisters were devoted to Jesus. Both sisters loved God. And what we're going to see is Martha had a little bit of a heart issue. We're going to kind of dig into that a little bit. But she was very sincere in her devotion. And I would submit to you that both women deserve very much our admiration. And before we read this, I want you to be 
noticing as we kind of read the, through the passage that I think what runs at the heart of this story is a contrast between performance fatigue and loving Jesus. I think that's at the heart of this story, performance fatigue and loving Jesus. Now, performanceism is really, it's really the belief that what we do determines our value and worth as people. That if we can achieve certain things, if we can accomplish certain goals, if we can look a certain way, then, then we're worthy. We're worthy of love. We're worthy of acceptance because of what we've done. And that is called performanceism. And so really performance fatigue is when you're absolutely drained from the rat race of constantly trying to live up to expectations. And I think that's Martha in this story. That is definitely Martha in this story. But it's in the gospel that we find something different. It's in the gospel that we find that our value and worth as people is really not determined by what we do. It's not determined by how we look. It's not determined by how we, you know, what we own or the job that we have or the goals that we accomplish. Our value is really based on the love of God. Our value is based not on our performance, but on Jesus' performance for us. You see, our value is rooted in the love of God and in God's acceptance. And I think Mary understood this. And I think that's what's driving this entire story. But I want you to see it yourself. So we're going to read Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. And I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word today? So Luke records this. He says, now as they went out on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Not the word of God. It stands forever. You may be seated. So there's a school in West Palm Beach, Florida. It's a Christian school. It's a Christian high school. And um, last year they had their graduation ceremony. And the valedictorian of the senior class was giving his acceptance speech. His name is Kyle Martin. And uh, he stood up to give his speech. And his speech went just like most accept, acceptance speeches go. He uh, you know, spent time thanking his parents and the, the teachers and the staff uh, at the high school and, and uh, just really giving and showing his appreciation to the administration. But then right, right, right in the middle... He got brutally honest, and he really laid his heart out on the table. And I want to show you a clip from that speech. Watch the screen behind me. I stand before you tonight as the 2019 valedictorian. This time last year, I found out that I was in the running for this title. It was then that I decided I wanted it. So I worked hard for it. 
I sacrificed for it. And yes, I stressed for it. And I got it. And at our senior award ceremony, it felt so good when I heard my name announced with this title. I so good for about 15 seconds. Yeah, 15 seconds of my heart racing and my adrenaline pumping. 15 seconds of, yeah, I won! 15 seconds of being at the top of the pile of all my accomplishments, and it felt euphoric. But there must come a 16th second. And on that 16th second, sat down in my seat, I looked at my silver stole that says valedictorian, and I thought, that's it? <laughs> what just happened? Why, why am I not feeling anything else? To be honest, I, I don't even know what I was expecting. A parade of balloons to drop? Or, or maybe I was hoping that all of my problems would fade away in comparison to this amazing achievement. But none of that happened. Not even in my heart. I felt nothing. I was shocked. This was a huge problem for me. And I needed to figure out why. So here was my thought process. Working hard is good. It is in fact biblical. But it should not be done for the sole purpose of a goal's sake at the expense of relationship with others. And looking back on this year, I realized that the stress of this year for this goal in a five minute speech was paid for with the lack of attending to relationships in my life. A lesson learned and self-reflection accomplished. I love that. I love how profound it is for someone to stand up on the mountaintop of all of their experiences and basically say this, I got it wrong. I got it wrong because I sacrificed relationships. I sacrificed, you know, relationships and people in my life for this great achievement. He goes on in the talk to challenge his class that the most important relationship is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Kyle Martin had experienced this performance fatigue, didn't he? He understood it all too well. And I think, I think this performance fatigue rears its ugly head, especially during this time of year when we've got so many duties and distractions and responsibilities, when we're so chained to the tyranny of the urgent about all the things that, that need to get done, that what can happen if we're not careful, we can, we can stop attending to our relationships. We can stop attending to our relationship with God. And what happens is in our relationships with others and our relationship with God, they, they all of a sudden become distant and dull and flat. And what would normally bring delight now just ends up as mere duty. And what would normally stir up affection just becomes annoyance. And uh, what would normally bring us grace turns into grievous or grievance. And so in the story of Mary and Martha today, I, I want to just kind of lay it out to you this morning. I want to I give you, I want to show you three hearts right from what we read today. I want to show you a chaotic heart, a heart that is so tempting for us to enter in to this time of year. Chaos, a chaotic heart. But I also want to show you the opposite of that. I want to show you a calm heart. And then lastly, 
I want to show you Jesus' heart for us. So let's look at, let's look at the chaotic heart. Now this is, this is obviously Mary, I'm, I'm, I mean, this is obviously Martha. I'm talking about Martha with a chaotic heart. She is, she's very much stricken with, with performance fatigue. She is not at rest. She is not at peace. She's restless here. And you, and you see this, and the reason why is because she's really trying to prove herself. She's really trying to validate herself through certain activities that the culture around her says that are essential for her, especially for her as a, as a woman in Middle, Middle Eastern culture. You see it again. Let me, let me just show it to you right in verse 40 where Luke records this. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now that word distracted in the Greek, it literally means to be dragged away. To be dragged away. Martha was dragged away with much serving. And so, and so really what that's talking about is she really wanted one thing, but she allowed several things to pull her away and to drag her away from that main thing in her life. And, and really what she allowed was her own self-appointed responsibilities, her own self-imposed necessities, her own need her own self-identified need for approval to pull her away from the most important thing in life, Jesus. That's what she did. She got, she got dragged away. And, um, and what that does is it produces a chaotic heart. Now, she obviously gets irritated with her sister Mary, so, so she goes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't, don't you even care that she's left me to do all this work? Why, why don't you tell her to, to get back to work? And so it's interesting because Jesus pushes back. Jesus pushes right back on her. And uh, he's not harsh with her. He's, he's just very gentle. And uh, he just corrects her. And it's interesting to note that she's, she's really not being corrected because of her service and hospitality. That's not what Jesus is going after here. That's not what his issue is. We know that hospitality is a gospel virtue. We, we know that service honors God. So that's not, that's not Martha's issue here. You see, you see we, she understood that, that to show hospitality really reflects the kingdom. She understood that completely. And so verse 38 tells us that she had welcomed Jesus and, and that meant welcoming everybody that was kind of you know, following Jesus around in, in those days. And so she understood that as the son of God, he was very much worthy of her best foot forward, her very best effort to, to care for him and to take care of him. So I think, I think she figured all of that out. In fact, what we know from the other gospels is that this was not the only time Jesus had, had visited her house. And it was probably her hospitality that drew him to the house in the first place. So I don't think Jesus is scolding her for her service and hospitality. But we do get a clue about what he is after in verse 42 when he says to her, Mary has chosen, your sister has chosen the good portion. And it's not going to be taken away from her. And so really, the two sisters are making choices out of two different hearts. And I think Mary's heart reflects that first things are first. And Martha's heart reflects first things are second. Because there's something 
there's something off in her heart. Now we know this. We know this because in verse 40, we are told when she goes to Jesus and says, you know, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Will you, will you please tell her to, to get back on the job? So, so what that tells us is Mary was serving. Mary was, but she pulled away to be with Jesus, which we'll talk about that in just a minute. But Martha is all irritated. And so Jesus is not, not scolding her. And, and that's honestly, church, that's really good news because there are a lot of us in here that are Martha's, right? Uh, there are a lot of us that are type A personalities and, and uh, you know, and we're get her done kind of people. And so Jesus is not, he's not rebuking us for that. Can I get an amen? I mean, it's okay to work hard, right? For, for those of us who are in that bin. In fact, it's interesting because Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha. And so in Semitic language, when you repeated somebody's name like that, you were basically saying what Jesus was saying to her, my beloved Martha, Martha whom I love and respect. So he is communicating to her his, his absolute love. And, um, and I think here's what I think he's saying. If he were to say Martha, Martha to us today, I think he would say this, that, that before you serve and feed other people, you need to come to me and let me serve and feed you. That before you give yourself to other people, whether you're entertaining your family or ministering to someone in need, before you give yourself to someone else, first come to me and let me, Jesus says, give myself to you. You see, before you invite me to your table, Jesus says, you need, you need to come and dine at my table. See, Martha's problem is she's not a busybody. Her problem is she has a busy heart. The problem is, is that she's allowed her serving and her hospitality to be spoiled by her pursuit of, self, of self-approval and the approval of others and validation from other people. See, that was Martha's priority. She was doing a good thing. She was doing so many good things, but she was doing them with the wrong heart. It, at the end of the day, it was really about her. It was about the pat on the back and the validation that she would get from the surrounding community because of the great job she did in entertaining. Her heart was cluttered to the core. Now, C.S. Lewis gives us particularly good insight into this. He, he says it this way. He says, he says, put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. And so for us to, as Christ followers, our first thing is loving Jesus. That's what it is. That's our first thing. And what, what the gospel says is when we put that first, everything else takes care of itself. Everything else falls into place. But when, when that becomes second, then we get none. We get none of it. It kind of reminds me, actually, of what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, you know, chapter 2. He says, I, I, I know your work, your service, I know all of your toil, but this one thing I have against you, you've abandoned your first love he says. Now, I think this is a great word to all the Marthas uh, in this room today, because I think, it's, I think it's very tempting for us as American Christians to get so consumed and wrapped up with our religious duties, church attendance, 
and church giving and church ministry and church events. And it's so easy for us to walk through the door and kind of paste a smile in our face and act like everything's really cool, but we've allowed that relationship to get distant and dull. You see, we're really good at looking like we're walking side by side with Jesus, but, but in reality, we've lost the heart, the heart connection with Jesus. And man, it can really happen at this time of year. We can, we can really get distracted with all the things, all the Christmas things, and we really lose sight of what Christmas is really all about. And I think for Martha, her chaotic heart is absolutely revealed in this story as she is really trying to prove herself. She's really trying to fulfill the role of a traditional Jewish woman in that culture today. She's trying to, she's trying to make sure that the home is spotless and all the men are fed, which is absolutely chauvinistic and paternalistic, absolutely. Um, but that's what she's trying to do. She wants to hear an girl. And so that's just how the culture operated back then. And so her non-negotiable bottom line is, I can't fail at this. There's too much at stake. I'm at stake. And the judgment of other people on me is at stake. And so her number one ambition is to make sure that judgment didn't land on her. That was her goal. And so for her, delight has become drudgery and and affection has become annoyance and grace has become grievance. And so really what a chaotic heart reveals is it reveals a shift in our priorities where we're really first, where it's really about how we look. And we become where our identity is not rooted in the love of God, it's rooted in, in what we do. You know, church, you know, for the longest time, I've really struggled with this. For the longest time. Because there's many years where I thought, you know, if I could just be a successful pastor, if I could just preach great sermons and lead a large and growing church, then I could be loved and accepted. I'd be worthy of that. And so it infected my ministry. And you know, God began to deal with me and God began to really work in me and change me and began to show me that his love for me has nothing to do with how well I preach a sermon or how large the church gets. That his love for me was established on the foundation of the world and it never changes. And uh, I just know today we live in a very performance-oriented culture, don't we? We live in a culture that tells us that our value and worth as people is really determined by all the things that we can do and achieve and how we look. You know, I think, I think today, I think social media, Instagram and TikTok is a huge problem for middle school, high school and college, college girls today. I really do. Because they feel the pressure of having to look a certain way. And if they don't look a certain way, then they're not people of value. And I think for middle school and high school and in college guys, it's the same thing. It's in the area of athletics, you know, where they feel like they've got to excel in, the, in a sporting, you know, environment where they can prove their status as worthy of being loved. And maybe for us as adults, it's about the kind of car that we drive or maybe the neighborhood that we live in or the kind of, you know, you know 
number that's right beside our W-2 form total amount. You know, maybe it's like that. Or maybe just this Christmas season, I mean, maybe for you, you're kind of feeling like Clark Griswold on Christmas vacation. You know what I mean? Where you just got to have the perfect family Christmas where, you know, by some miracle, everybody gets along and nobody gets into an argument and everything, everybody's happy. And Jesus tells Martha, Mary's made the better choice. And um, he's really just trying to minister to her chaotic heart to say, you know what, there's something, there's something more here. She's made the better choice. And I think that's what we see in Mary is we see a calm heart. She's very much secure. She's, she's very much at rest. She's just, she's centered in the love of Jesus. Let me, now let me just kind of explain this. Um, now, you know, Mary is just as committed to serving as Martha was. She's committed to the same goal of serving. But see, Mary understood, he under, she understood something different that, Mary, that Martha didn't catch. You see, Mary understood that when Jesus enters the room, the room becomes a sanctuary. And it's time to rest and receive from Jesus. And so the dishes can wait because Jesus is here. The Christmas decorations can wait because Jesus is here. And, and so what she does is Mary, Mary chooses the right priority, laying aside all the tasks and duties until a proper time so that Jesus can have the proper place in her heart. And so what she does is she's chosen the better portion, and that better portion is simply to feed off of God's word. And so while Martha's busy preparing the meal, Mary's sitting at the feet eating a completely different meal, the meal that brings real nourishment. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's hanging on to every word. She is choosing Jesus' word over everything else in her life. That's what she wants. And so, and so she is choosing Jesus himself. And, and Jesus says in verse 42, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that one and necessary thing, which is Jesus himself. Now, for you and me, as we kind of apply this, uh, there's really only one thing necessary for us. And here's the thing, church. It's not what we do for God. It's not what we do for God. This was Martha's mistake. She thought that what was most important was her service to God. That was her mistake. That's where she got off. But the truth is this. God doesn't need our service. He, he, he doesn't need our ministry. He, he doesn't need my preaching. In fact, I will say this. He doesn't even need any of us. That God is perfectly, perfectly happy and content in his own existence. He doesn't need us to survive, right? He exists independent of anybody and anything. And so he doesn't need us in any way. The truth is how much we need God. The truth is how we, how desperate we are for the grace and the power of God in our life. That's the truth. And the problem is, is we, we so quickly forget that. We so quickly forget it. I think what's necessary for, for every Mary and Martha 
is not really to serve Jesus, but to be served by him and to receive his word, to be at his feet and to receive his very word. One commentator that I read really said it this way, and there's no way I could improve upon this. He said this, he said, amid all of life's duties and necessities, there is one supreme necessity which must always be given priority and which if circumstances compel us to choose, must be chosen to the exclusion of all others. That supreme necessity is to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to his word. It must be so. If there's a creator at all, and that creator is prepared to visit us and speak to us as in his incarnation, he visited and spoke to to Mary and Martha, then obviously it is our first duty as his creatures, as it ought to be, our highest pleasure to sit at his feet and listen to what he says. And that's Mary's choice. And the question for you is what will your choice be? She, she made Jesus the first thing. She made his word the first thing. And that's what produces a calm heart. Instead of seeking self-validation, she just sought God glorification. Instead of the approval of others, she's just seeking to please Jesus. Instead of performance fatigue, She's just loving Jesus. And so, church, when we settle this issue, then our hearts become at peace and our hearts become at rest because we're resting in him. We're resting in him. And we know that whatever it is we're going through, the battle belongs to him, which is the best news of all. Now, let me give you a little postscript on this because this, this, this part was uh, really interesting to me. So, you know, that Martha was agitated, so she goes to Jesus and, you know, says, you know, Lord, don't you even care? And, you know, that she's left me and, and uh, you know, can you just tell her to get back on it, you know? And, and, uh, and Jesus says, you know, Martha, Martha, you're, you're anxious and troubled about many things. And uh, it's really interesting because there's a, a Bible commentator by the name of N.T. Wright. He's a pastor and Bible scholar and commentator, and he talks about this passage, and he talks about, he has an interesting theory over why she's so irritated at her sister. And it's, it's, it possibly be, and there's a lot of agreement with him on this, that um, Martha is irritated with Mary because Mary, at sitting at the feet of Jesus, is really breaking through you know, a cultural and social barrier. She, is really, she has really broken down a wall by doing what she's doing. Now let me explain what he says. He talks about in, in Jesus' day in that culture, uh, you know, when men and women would talk to each other, converse with each other, they would only do it in two places on the, on the grounds. They would do it in the yard where all the kids were, or they would do it in the bedroom where you make the kids. So that would be the only two places um, that they would actually converse. And so what would happen is the men would congregate in the center part of the house, and then they would sit in there and talk about you know, world affairs, and they would talk about um, business and maybe even a little theology and sports or whatever, you know. So they'd sit in there and talk about that. And, and here you have Mary right in there with the guys, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and receiving his word. And, uh, and the reason why you would ever sit at the feet of a rabbi is because you're aiming to be a teacher yourself. So she is... She is, she is literally in a place where women should not be. 
And so that barrier was designed to keep women inferior and subjugated and, you know, on the outside looking in. And it's fascinating how Jesus responds. He says to Mary, he says to Martha, Mary has chosen the good thing and it will not be taken away from her. And what what he does is he's affirming her place right there at his feet. And so what's really cool is you see this in general all over scripture, God lifting the status of women in a very sinful chauvinistic culture. And you see it particularly in the book of Acts over and over and over again, where you see women assuming key roles, key leadership roles in the church that that they never had assumed before in the culture at large. You see, for example, Anna, who became a well-known prophetess in the early church. You see that Priscilla joins her husband Aquila as they are basically discipling Apollos to get him, you know, squared away in his, you know, preaching and theology. And then you see a very well-to-do woman, woman by the name of Lydia in Philippi who plants a church right out of her own house. And basically what you have is you have Jesus affirming Mary's place in a very man-centered world. And Jesus' message is this, that you, you don't have to be a man to be used of God. That you don't, you don't have to be a, a man to, to grow in your relationship with God. You don't have to be a man to, to be used to build the kingdom of God. The ground is level at the very feet of Jesus. And I think that's really a cool thing. And... Um, And you see it all over scripture. I could go on and on about more examples of this. But her bottom line, Mary's bottom line, was not her to-do list. It was not self-approval. It was just simply being at the face and feet of Jesus and receiving and receiving from him. And so uh, that's that's just really a cool thing. Now let me just kind of finish up with this. So that's, that's the calm heart And that's Mary, and we've talked about the chaotic heart with Martha. Uh, But there's a third heart here, and we can't can't close without this. Um, What about Jesus' heart? What about Jesus' heart? You know what's, what's fascinating to me about this is Mary had the freedom to pull away from all the chores. She had the freedom to pull away from all the tasks that had to be done. Where did that freedom come from? How did, where did, where do you get that freedom from? And I think the answer is that she already knew she had the approval of Jesus. I I think she already had received Jesus well done. I think she had already realized and experienced the love of God in her own life. I think that's where that freedom came from. I really do. You see, the the essence of the gospel is this, church. Listen to this. The love of God comes to us first. The love of God fills us first. The love of God surrounds us first. And from that first place of God's love and acceptance into our life, then we're free to love God and then we're free to love and and love other people. From that love coming into our life, it sets us free to serve God and then in turn serve other people. 
And so that's very much the essence of the gospel, that we experience the well done of Jesus. Really the, the embrace of Jesus' love and acceptance first. And, you know, maybe if you struggle with loving people in your life, maybe you need to go back to understanding the love of God for you first. Maybe you need to go back to the gospel and see that, that God loved us when we were unlovely, that God loved us when we were not performing, that God loved us from the foundation of the world. And maybe what would, that, what would happen is our eyes would be open and our hearts would be softened so that we would, we would truly love others. And so I think, I think Mary is free to pull away from all the stuff because she realizes the affirmation of Jesus. Now, where does she get this affirmation from? Well, you know, Jesus has says, you know, you, you have chosen, she has chosen the good portion. He's already affirmed her. And what's fascinating is this is the Mary that just a little bit before this poured perfume on Jesus' feet. And the disciples, you know, they, you know, they got, they got all mad at her and started rebuking her. And Jesus, Jesus looked at her and said, no, she's done a beautiful thing. She had experienced the, the well done of Jesus. In fact, what's fascinating here is even Martha had experienced that. When Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, he is saying to her, you are my beloved Mary. And so he knows about her heart. He knows her heart's in chaos. He, he knows that she's got the wrong priorities, but he loves her anyway. And, um, and that just shows you that God's love comes to us first and that God's love for us is not based on our performance. Now let me just, let me just phrase it this way and then we'll close. How would your life be different if you knew you didn't have anything to prove? How would your life be different if you knew the love of God is always first? It's always first. That's the base of your life. How would your life be different? How would, how would your life be different if you if you believe your most essential task is to simply rest and receive from Jesus and that your, your parenting, your marriage, your work, your family life, everything flows out of that. How would your life be different? Church, I think it would be very different. And I think this Christmas would be the best Christmas you would ever have because this, in essence, is what Christmas is all about. This is why Jesus came. This is why he was born. And church, when you settle this issue, the chaos stops. The chaotic heart goes away and it turns into a calm heart. And you know what happens? Is that calm heart begins to look more and more like Jesus' heart. And that's what God wants for you to simply receive from him. And please, church, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you today to put on your task list for tomorrow to go have a quiet time, okay? That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not, what I am saying is we don't become like Jesus by trying to become like Jesus. We become like Jesus by being with him because he loves us. 
and tapping into that love. That's what this season is all about. And so I challenge you to lean in to the love of God. Would you pray, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we give you praise. We give you glory for a love that's so, so incredible, so amazing. We live in such a transactional world that your love for us sometimes is hard to even fathom. We're so conditioned to performance and achievement and hard work and validation. We're so bent that way. And I thank you that your word says to just, for all of you who are weary and are heavy laden, come and rest. And so God, I just, I thank you that you loved us so much that you gave up what was most precious to you, your son Jesus, because you loved us. You wanted a relationship with us. God, I pray that we would know that love that surpasses knowledge and that we would stop seeking self-validation and we would pursue relationship. So thank you. Thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.